This week's Performance Anxiety features heavy metal guitar legend Alex Skolnick. We talk about his time in Testament, his time in Sabotage, his time touring with the Trans-Siberian Orchestra, and Spin Doctors. Yeah, Spin Doctors. We also talk about leaving the heavy metal scene altogether and studying jazz, forming the Alex Skolnick Trio, and a few other things he's done. Please enjoy this episode of Performance Anxiety with Alex Skolnick. Give Alex a follow on social media at Alex Skolnick on Instagram and Twitter. Go to his website, alexskolnick.com, to get tour dates and merchandise info. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at PerformanceANX. And don't forget to rate and review our shows on iTunes or whatever platform you listen. Thank you for listening. Here's Alex Skolnick. Hi, this is Alex Skolnick. You're listening to Performance Anxiety. So I guess the first thing I, I, I wanted to know about you is uh, how long have you been actually playing guitar? When, how old were you when you first picked it up? Uh, I was about 10 years old. Oh, okay. Yeah, that, so that's several decades ago. Yeah. <laughs> you can do the math. Yeah. <laughs> about four decades. Yeah. When you first picked it up, uh, who were your influences? Why, why, what drew you to guitar? Well, when I was a kid, I really liked uh, 50s rock. Okay. And there was a lot of 50s nostalgia. You know, they had the movie American Graffiti came out. Oh, I love that movie. Uh, uh, there was a movie called American Hot Wax. Yeah. That uh, had, it actually had uh, Chuck Berry in it, and he just like, stole the show. Oh, yeah. And uh, I liked the Beatles. Um, but then uh, I discovered Kiss, and then, you know, Kiss really made me want to learn guitar. But it, I, yeah, I never stopped liking all the 50s music, too. So I just learned as much of that music as I can. Oh, cool. And uh, a few years later, you know, made the jump to uh, you know, Eric Clapton and Jeff Beck and then Van Halen and Randy Rose. Oh. All within a few years. Oh, wow. Okay. So I'm getting a little ahead of myself here, but since since you brought up 50s music, have you ever thought about doing an, an album of, of 50s music? Uh, that I haven't done. That's actually uh, not a bad idea. <laughs> uh, I've got I've got a number of other things uh, lined up that that are you know irons in the fire. Yeah. First, but that's, that's you know you never know. And I know you're a big Van Halen fan. Yeah, massive. Yeah, and I'm, I wish it, I wish I'd realized that earlier. I just did an entire show based on David Lee Roth era Van Halen with a. a yeah, that's a, my era. Oh, see, man. All right. I don't go past that. And I love Sam, but I'm just not not a fan of the Van Halen era with Sam. Yeah, they kind of softened up. And it uh, that's that was kind of the premise of, of the show is that we, we stuck strictly with David Lee Roth era stuff. So nice. um, I did watch the lecture that you did on eruption. The uh, That was fascinating. I mean, I don't know how you made a 90 minute lecture on a, a minute 44 second song so interesting but oh thank you it was really wild the way you broke it down and, and uh kind of broke it down almost note by note practically it, it was it was fantastic well, there's a lot to talk about and yeah. i think there's also a lot of overlooked parts of uh yeah that it was nice to, to shine a light on yeah well i think if, if anybody's interested they definitely need to check it out it's on youtube and uh it's it's Definitely amazing. Now, the one thing I want to ask you about that is that if you go to any guitar store, you hear a whole lot of shitty versions of people doing eruption. What is what is it that most people miss about that 
that you've hit because you've actually during that lecture you play the you play the song in its entirety a, a couple of times right. and you nail it and it sounds you know it sounds the tone everything sounds like Eddie so what are what are most people missing? I think people are missing the feel more than anything. It's really uh, complicated. Um, you know, I, I'd be, you know, he's just, he's got this, uh, this uh, it was an attitude in this playing. Right. That really can't be taught. That you can really only get by listening. And uh, I think you know, there's also some timing things that are happening there that people miss. Okay. Uh, it's almost as though he's playing to a drummer. Right, but there is no drum. Right. See, it's just him. Um, but I think, yeah, people just kind of get lost in the timing, and they they miss the uh, yeah the the attitude, and really, it just really takes a lot of studying. It also takes you know just absorbing the parts uh, slowly and realizing where they where they came from. Okay. Yeah. And uh, like uh, to, like to me, and I, I this is. Something I realized even um, after the lecture, I kind of wish I brought this up, but uh, you know, a few years before that, uh, Deep Purple Lazy had come out, right? And there's a right. great version of that, a great live version of that on uh, Deep Purple Made in Japan. Right, right, yeah. And that lick, you know, the main lick, the Lazy, like I can kind of hear, like Van Halen's got some signature bluesy licks. Right. And some of those are, are in the, yeah, there's hints of them in interruption. Okay. And I think, never I'm not sure, it. yeah. I, I think he, you know, he has many influences. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't even know what they are, I think. <laughs> you know, he, he always cites Eric Clapton, but I mean, <laughs> eruptions of nothing like Eric Clapton. No. Um, but, no, you know, no. I think it's, there's some cream licks. That, and, and so, yeah, whatever, whatever the case, you need to go to the source material. Okay. Okay. Yeah, he definitely. Eddie was definitely listening to. That's like one person he's admitted to listening to. Oh, wow. Ah. I think if you listen to, yeah, Cream, especially not just the radio stuff, but like the extended Cream like album. Yes. Yeah. You can, you know, you can hear hints of that. You know, that, it's great to learn that stuff anyway. Oh yeah. And he certainly mentioned Alan Holdsworth, and the you know the period of Alan Holdsworth at that time. That was pre, you know, 80s processed Alan Holdsworth. That was like raw, you know, rock Alan Holdsworth with uh, Tony Williams. Right, right, yeah. UK, you know, uh, it's, and, and that, you, you can really hear a, a connection. So I think, you know, people need to study the source material before attempting to yeah, pull it off. <laughs> well, it, it's it's amazing, and I definitely recommend everybody checking it out because it, it's fantastic. And the one thing that that I, I you actually uh, pulled out your sense of humor in in that lecture, which I thought was hilarious. When you, you started, uh, they, they asked you to play it, and you pulled out um, uh, "Thus Spoke Zarathustra." That's right. In the in, in <laughs> yeah. the beginning, I thought that was fantastic. That yeah. was that actually. I was sitting. Sitting at my day job, watching, <laughs> well, kind of listening to it, and I just, and I, I clicked over to watch the video, and I actually laughed out loud with my headphones on, and I had everybody looking at me around like, "What the hell's wrong with you?" I said, yeah. "Yeah, I mean that that kind of added to 
the uh, it, it helped disarm myself. Yes, just not taking it that seriously. Yeah, you know, if I screw it up, I can start. Which I I did got I didn't screw it up. I got through it, but I could have yeah. <laughs> I could have started again. It wouldn't be the end of the world. Right. That was a way uh, not only to loosen myself up, but to give myself confidence. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and, and you. Uh... You used a, a Frankenstein-looking strat on that too, which is, you know, you pulled out all the stops. Is there? Uh, are you using a similar rig to what uh, effects? I guess uh, to what Eddie was possibly using. Yeah. Now this is yeah you know, another reason I wish I could I could do it over. <laughs> yeah, since then I've uh, acquired a guitar that a Frankenstein guitar that oh, okay. is so close to the real thing. Really? It's amazing. It was yeah, custom built by a buddy of mine. Oh, uh, you know, between that that day and uh, a short time later, it's like I was really meant to just be doing Van Halen stuff. Uh, I ended up uh, connecting with the Project Metal Allegiance. Right, right. I've done a couple original recordings at this point. But we... Uh, we did some Van Halen live, and uh, what was it? We did uh, Running with the Devil. Okay, yeah. And, and just as a joke, Mike Portnoy played the fills from Eruption. Oh. Just figuring, you know, nobody's going to play this. But I, it, it hadn't been that long since I did that lecture. <laughs> no, I'm, uh, yeah. <laughs> and I just went right into it. They were all in shock. Oh, God, that's so, awesome. Like, you got to do that. Anyway, so we ended up doing that. For, yeah, there were several shows where... I would do that. My friend got inspired as a builder and uh, built this guitar. It's just amazing. Oh, uh, so actually, the one I used the day of the lecture, I called a, a friend that works at uh, Fender EVH. He's really nice enough to hook me up with one of the stock basic models. And it's okay. a trick. Then? But I've, I've since upgraded. Uh, but I also, it helps with the tone, um, just getting the, you know, the right uh, effects pedals. Right. Which is, there's really two that are essential. Right? One is the, um, the Phase 90. Okay. Which was made by MXR back in the 70s. Right. And it's since been, uh, it's, it's been rebuilt and redistributed by um, uh, Jim Dunlop. Oh, okay. And the Crybaby, uh, which is also, a, you know, it's a wild pedal, and it's also been uh, re, you know, re resurfaced under the uh, you know, Jim Dunlop logo. But yeah. they make them exactly the same. Okay. Uh, okay. So you need you really need both of those. And that's and then it? and then you know the right you know a good amount of distortion and everything else. Okay. Uh, he's also tuned down a half step. So like all these uh, little things make a difference. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. See, that's something I didn't realize. Yeah. Uh, now, so it's hard to just jump into it, like on any guitar and any setup, and just like sure maybe you could quote, yeah, one of the licks, yeah, make it recognize it. So yeah, to really play it and have it sound like, you know, in the ballpark like him. I don't think anybody can sound just like him. Right, uh, right. He's one of those players. Like nobody can sound just like him. Right. Like, Hendrix. There's a few guys like that. Oh, exactly. Uh, just can't imitate him. But yeah, at least. You can do a respectful pass at it. Uh, <laughs> you need you need uh, you know, the basic setup. So you've studied the not and not just that song, but a lot of the Van Halen catalog, especially of that era. Um, 
Now, yeah, well, we ended with Medal of Allegiance. We ended up doing the whole record. Oh, okay. Oh. The, yeah, it was the anniversary of the record, and it was right around Eddie's 60th birthday. So we did it as a tribute. <sighs> One and thing Wolf that you mentioned. Van Halen actually sat in. Oh, really? She kind of gave it some, it was like, yeah, added to the pressure, you know? That, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the one thing that you talk about a lot with that is that, you know, you're, you're taking guesses on how he played some of this stuff. Um, right. My, I've always heard, and maybe since you've studied this so much, that I've heard that uh, Ted Templeman just had heard Eddie doing his warm-up exercise and it ended up being basically eruption and pulled him into the studio and said, we got to record that for the album. Is there any validity to that story? I don't know the exact truth to the story. Um, I, another story I heard was they were rehearsing for a show. Yeah. You know, cause they were, uh, frequent. That's one of the reasons they were so good. Constantly playing live. Right. Right. They had regular performances all over LA. Yeah. Yeah. And the guitar solo was one of the features. So, uh, the one, one of the stories is they were rehearsing the guitar solo and Ted Templeman said, Hey, you know, should record that for the album. It's great. Yeah. Um, but another thing is if you listen to old bootlegs and there's plenty of these bootlegs out there. Yeah. Yeah, there's Van Halen fan sites. Yeah, you, know, you could you could go through YouTube and you can find uh yeah, chat rooms and stuff. Uh, yeah, they're at, they're out there. There's all kinds of bootlegs and there's there's always an open guitar solo in the show. Right. And in that solo it's kind of amazing. Like he had this whole um yeah, he had this whole mix of highlights okay. that he would do. And it, it, just, it never sounded the same. And some of it, they, it was all just part of the solo. And then you hear where where these things ended up later. Right? Okay. So, for example, Van Halen 2 has uh, Spanish Fly, mm-hmm. right? which is a uh, nylon acoustic boat. But right. in some of those early bootlegs, he's doing those same licks oh, as okay. part of an open solo with the licks you hear in Eruption, with uh, the introduction to Mean Streets. Really? That you know early? I mean? Like, it was just, yeah, he had all that stuff. He would throw it all out. It, it would come out in, in different ways. The volume knob things that he did was like cathedral. Uh, okay. So a lot of his open soul, I think, ended up on different tracks, either as intros or the case of Spanish Fly, and especially the case of Eruption, as open soul. So he was basically just doing these things and filing them away in his brain, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it was that organized. You yeah. know what I, mean? I mean, I think each part, sure. He obviously worked meticulously, mastering each of those sections. Yeah. But then he would just throw them out there, and it would be this semi-improvised solo. And I think that's part part of the reason why if you ever go to see them, if you've gone to see them live any time since yeah, they've been touring, yeah, since that first record came out, I don't think he has ever played the open solo like it is on that record, as, as it's called Eruption. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. There's always parts of it, but it's yeah. never exactly the same. Yeah, because a lot of times I, will, I have seen some bootlegs and, and 
it'll have eruption, but it'll be much longer. <laughs> it's a lot longer than a minute 44. Yeah. So, it's, yeah. so I think, I think that's what it was. I think that's how it went down that night. Right. Yeah. It could have, if they, you know, <laughs> any other night, it could have sounded different. Right. Yeah. <laughs> or it's possible maybe they did a few versions and that was the one that was put together. Okay. I mean, you do hear there's a, there's a, yeah, there is a break in the middle of it. Right. Yeah. Right. There's this silence. So I think that was a whole other section. Okay. Ah. So that's, that's, that's my theory. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I he'll never say. I mean, they, you know, back then, like the famous rock producer once told me, you know, and there's there is the legend, and there is the truth. Right. And if the legend sounds better than the truth, go <laughs> with the legend. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, that's uh, that's not bad advice, but yeah. yeah. Have, so the legend is, yeah, they just play. Yeah. I mean, the the, the same thing with uh, his solo on Beat It. Yeah. Michael yeah. Jackson, right? This, the legend is, you know, he got this call from Quincy Jones, hung up on him because he didn't <laughs> believe, like, Quincy's, he thought it was you know, probably some stalker fan that got his number. Right. And Quincy, yeah, why would Quincy Jones be calling? Yeah. Quincy Jones. Um, that, maybe that, that seems plausible. But then the, the other thing is that he uh, went into the studio, he just laid down the solo in one take. That was it. I don't think that's the case. No. I think, he, I think he probably did a few of them. You can hear it. I mean, if you have trained ears and you have made lots of records, as as I've done. Right. Uh, you, especially the records at, at that time period, you can hear an edit. Especially uh-huh. if you're a guitar player. And it's like, okay, wait, it goes from this position to this. So that solo, like, I think, okay. yeah, I think it was, was put a little bit spliced together. Not that there's anything wrong with it. Right, right. Everybody's out, but I, I do think it conflicts with yeah you know, that idea. He just the, walked in the there, legend. And he played that, and that was it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, have you ever had a chance to talk to Eddie about any of this? Uh, I have not. I would love to. I especially like to talk to him now because he's going to be a very much healthier. Yeah, nicer. Than, <laughs> nicer. <laughs> Not as alcoholic, angry. Yeah. I, I just told the story of meeting him. I was on a podcast with this comedian, uh, Dean Del Rey. Okay. He's getting pretty popular these days. and uh, But I know him right back in the day. He was in a local band. And he asked me about, yeah, about if I'd met anybody, if I ever met him. Yeah, and, uh, and I did, but you know, it was not during a good period, and uh, oh, I'd no. love, I'd love to meet him again now. I think it would be much nicer. Oh, that yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'm not as popular as, as Dean. So I don't know if I could hook that up, but yeah. I'll, 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 I'll throw out some feelers. I'll see what I can do. Great. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, so, you, how did you guys? How did you start hooking up with the guys in Testament? Sixteen or so when you started. So I was sixteen. I was trying to start a band. This was in the days that uh, 
you didn't have as many you know, high school age people playing music as right. you do today. Or they, they, they were usually just starting out. And I had already played a few years, and I was a lot further along. Okay. And I realized uh, I, I, I couldn't find anybody in my school to start a band with. I tried a couple bands. No, nobody, it just didn't work out. And I knew I wanted, I was already thinking about joining an established band. And then uh, I kept hearing about this band called Legacy that was new on the scene. Okay. And they had opened for Slayer, who had just wow. recently started playing the Bay Area at that point. I don't think they even done their first record. Oh, geez. Um, and they opened for Exodus. So these were bands I, I knew about. I actually saw Slayer on their the first play. Oh, wow. But, um, and then I, I finally saw them, and I thought they were really good. And like, honestly, within a matter of weeks, uh, I was told that uh, I got word that the guitar player was leaving the band, didn't want to be in a band anymore. Okay. And they were going to be looking for a guitar player. All right. So I went, yeah, so I went down to the, uh, their rehearsal studio. It was a, a very dangerous part of Oakland, downtown Oakland, California. Oh, East. Just since been completely gentrified. Yeah. <laughs> but back then, it was, you know, you had to watch your back. And uh, I just played uh, played for the guys. I played as as though I was taking the guitar off the rack at Guitar Center. Yeah. Plugging it in <laughs> and just trying out some licks. And they all said, "Yeah, when can you start?" Yeah. Like, <laughs> so when did they? When did you guys change from Legacy to Testament? Uh, that was when we did our first album. Okay. And now, yeah, we were on a on a label. And, uh, yeah, we had an attorney, so <laughs> we were sort of at this much more professional level. Yeah. And the attorney said, oh, do you guys have a copy of your trademark search? Trademark search? What's that? <laughs> yeah. Oh. oh, it's just a formality. You know, you just, you, uh, you just, they do a, a, a search of copyrights and they just make sure that nobody else has rights to your, your, the name. Okay. Uh, I'm sure it'll be no problem. I'm sure nobody else has. Yeah, sure enough. <laughs> yeah. There was a uh, hotel band. Oh, God. That had registered the name. <laughs> I think a band in New Orleans. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Uh, and what could you do? You can't, you know, they got the name. So, yeah, yeah it was just definitely a first world problem. But, yeah, it was a yeah. crisis. Like, you know, what are we going to do? You know, we're... They can't be legacy. We're legacy. <laughs> so we settled on Testament, and uh, it helped that it looked really good with uh, as a logo. It did. I mean, a lot of lot of uh, big bands. That was a big part of of the bands. The 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 logo, Megadeth, Testament, Metallica. They all had yeah. specific typefaces that that you guys used. And yeah, I'm not sure would have gone with that name. They were just. Name after name was coming in. We were getting suggestions from friends, other bands, people in the industry. You know. Oh, boy. And most of them we were going to throw away. I think uh, that was on the verge of being thrown away. Oh, really? And then I remembered, um, yeah, there was a, a local band from a few years before that had broken up. And they, had, they were no longer in existence, but they were okay. called uh, Diamond. And I, I remember they... They had this great logo because they had uh, it was in, it was a the same letter on each, on both sides, right? You know, right. D, 
Yeah. And then that M in the middle. And they made the big deal about that M in the middle. <laughs> and, and then an even number of letters in between. Right. In okay. Case, two letters. Yeah. So I realized, well, a testament, you kind of have the same thing. You have the same letter on both sides. You have this A in the middle. And then three letters. And you can extend the A. <laughs> You know, so we, I had somebody draw it up just roughly. Yeah. And, you know, this looks kind of, you know, cool. And then, all right, we, we have to have a name. Let's just go with that. Oh, man. Now, now, and it's funny because now you can't imagine it any other way. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it, it, the uh, that first album was something else, too. I'll, I'll tell you, that was the first album I, I, that actually kind of scared me. Oh, good. You know, <laughs> I, I remember I bought the cassette. And I brought it home, and I had to hide it because I figured my my parents saw it, they'd freak out with that screaming skull on the cover. Sure. And then I put it in my cassette player, and I heard Chuck's voice, right, and right. I'm Very like, scary. "Yeah, like, that's pretty much what that skull on the cover sounds like." If if, yes. if that skull could talk, <laughs> it would have been Chuck yeah. Billy's voice on that album. Yeah, it's so true. You played with them for with Testament for eighty eighty five. Okay. When I joined and I left in uh, 92. Um, and you left to study jazz guitar. Eventually, yeah. Okay. I floundered for a couple of years. You were on the Sabotage Handful of Rain album. Yeah. And so with- I guess it's not, it's not fair to say I, I floundered. <laughs> <laughs> And, and that's, you know, that was a great experience. We got that. People love that. I, I, I'm one of them. Yeah. Um, but I, I also, there were, there were just, it was, I, I could tell it wasn't meant for me long. It just, it wasn't, I wasn't enough. Uh, the, you know, the creative process was really down to like two people. Right, yeah. And that was made clear. And that was fine, but I, I respected that. But I also knew, you know, um, I need, whatever I do, I need to be creative. Okay. And then I did a couple auditions where I came in second. Oh, really? And they were, it's very, <laughs> yeah, but it's very odd, yeah, very completely different universes. One was the, the Spin Doctors. What? Uh, the other was Ozzy Osbourne. Yeah. Wow. Okay, I can see yeah, Ozzy, but and actually Ozzy really Ozzy did hire me, and all this crew said that I they thought I was the best. He sounded to Randy. Oh wow. Yeah, but I kept getting these memos from the, the boss of the show. Right. Yep. Who he's, who he's married to. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I couldn't understand it at first. Like, well, yeah, lower the guitar. Uh, stand a certain way, yeah. This, and I realized, oh, I get it. She's used to Zach. Yeah, they want another Zach Wild. Yeah, I was thinking, oh, cool. I'm gonna be. I, I want to be like more like Randy. Yeah, <laughs> that's one. Yeah, Randy was kind of nerdy, but he just <laughs> he found his place in Ozzy, and it was amazing. And Two of his so, best anyway, albums. So that didn't. So it, I play. I did play a show with him. Yeah, you know, it was an amazing experience, but it helped. I, I just it caused me to ask questions like, "What do I really want to do?" Okay, I don't want to. 
be in another band that has a lot of dysfunction, which Testament did at that time. Yeah. By their own admission. Right, right. Um, uh, sabotage, you know, they can tell <laughs> that story <laughs> if they want. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I don't want to wait wait for a phone call, you know? Yeah. I, the, the spin doctors had a meltdown on the road and the guitar player left. And I happen to know the lighting guy. So. Okay. Okay, so that's why that almost happened. I can't. That, I can't imagine. On, you know, that. Zach left us. So what am I going to do? Sit around and wait for another one of these things to happen until I, I get a gig, and then no, what do I want to do? I, I want to play all types of music. I want to play the music that I listen to the most. Which okay. I guess you could call it jazz, but it was really not limited. Just like my my favorite musicians included. Jazz musicians included uh, international acoustic players, okay. uh, blues musicians, you know, and just, I feel like you know, there's just so many places I can take my playing, especially, what do you mean, one thing about playing metal is all of this technique that is, like, enviable. <laughs> okay. But I figure if, if you're just going to limit it to one genre, I mean, I, some people are happy doing that. That wasn't really me. I just, uh, yeah, I would go here... You have some of my you have my favorite instrumental artists. Okay, you know what? I I want to get to the point where like at least I could I could play on stage with these people and not embarrass myself. Right. Okay. And I, so I feel like and and you can tell me if this is wrong if I'm completely off on this because I was actually thinking about this today instead of doing my actual job. Um, uh, metal is, is tends to be very aggressive, very very in your face kind of uh, of uh, physical almost music and. Jazz is is known to be more intellectual, and your both of your parents were academics. That's true. So that uh, perhaps that's something inside of you, you that, that need to continue to learn and grow, and that and, and feed your intellectual side, and that's what jazz fed. Whereas the metal it, it was just to help would, would help you get a, and, you know teenage aggression out. In, I don't know. That, that's my, uh, you know, untrained no, psychology. <laughs> yeah, I think it's true, and I think it also. I I rediscovered the intellectual side of myself, uh, not just not just through jazz, but just kind of opening up beyond just metal circles. Right. And originally, it was this escape because I just didn't relate to the people that I knew in academia. Okay. Uh, and I just I, I wanted no no part of it for, <laughs> for a lot of reasons. <laughs> and it's kind of funny now because you know I catch myself. I you know I, I have a subscription to the New Yorker. I listen to public radio. You know? <laughs> I, I do all these. I read the New York Times. I, I do all these things that you know. I just I despise <laughs> <laughs> a kid. You know. Yeah. <laughs> but you I also. Yeah, I also love playing heavy, heavy metal as one side of my playing. Right. But not being limited. Right, yeah, just being a well-rounded person yeah. and well-rounded guitarist. Uh, now, I just want to touch on, on Sabotage real quick one more time because you you ended up playing with Trans-Siberian Orchestra for a little while. Yeah. Was that because of your time in Sabotage or was that something completely different?
Exclusively playing jazz guitar. Okay. And then at the time, Trans Siberian Orchestra was being managed by uh, David Krebs, who is a very famous manager. Right, right. I, I actually recently posted a photo of him. We ran into each other in the airport. Okay. Uh, he managed you know, Aerosmith in their prime, uh, Scorpions, Takes oh, wow. with Bon Scott. Oh, yeah, geez. he was part of Lieber and Kretz, which is the big, yeah, the big management. Oh, right. So by the year 2000, you know, Lieber and Kretz wasn't around anymore. And uh, I think he, he had been retired for a while, but he got back into managing. And, and I got this cryptic phone call. And I kind, of, I kind of knew who he was just from, like, you know, rock stories, you know, gossip. Okay. Uh, and he said that, doesn't even say hello, or, you know, he's one of those, he's like right out of the movie. You know, his secretary calls. Oh, gosh. Yeah. You know, Please hold for David Krebs. Right. <laughs> I'm not, you know, hi, Alex, my name's David, it's just a, so I'm listening to this record, it's called Handful of Rain. <laughs> They need a guitarist for this. Pro- yeah, <laughs> it just goes right into the. You know, not, not missing a beat. They're trying to find a second guitarist. We listen to all the sabotage records. I hear the the guy on Handful of Rain. I said, "Who's that guy? That's the guy. Are you that guy?" <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was something like that. That's like straight out of Central uh, Casting. Yeah, it really, it really was. <laughs> so I got the whole story that, yeah, uh, Trans-Siberian Orchestra was built off of Sabotage and had become this successful holiday show. At that time, still doing theaters. It wasn't even like the you know, uh, giant monolith that, yeah, that it's become. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they were splitting into two groups, you know, East Coast and West Coast. Right. They wanted to well, I, yeah, if I wanted to come down and do the East Coast group. And, uh, it wasn't even an audition. I, mean, I think, yeah, because I had done that record, it was just like, yeah, this is, they this is yours it. if you want. Yeah, this is yours if you want. Um, although I, I, I was down, I was there while they were auditioning. It was very strange. Really? Watch the whole problem. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, they auditioned a lot of people, especially singers. But they had it, they were hired. They weren't hired. Oh, okay. Yeah. It very, <laughs> yeah, it's very, yeah. But I, yeah, I ended up, Doing that, and that was sort of my first foray back into sort of rock playing. Okay. How Even long? it was like within this show. Yeah. And then that got bigger and bigger. Yeah. And uh, yeah, by 2009, Testament had reunited, and we were sort of had this new life and new record deal, and we're sort of back playing, you know, at like higher levels of the rock world. Right. Uh, my trio was doing well and I'm doing a lot of side I we really had a full time career outside of it. so every time I would do Trans Siberian I would have to cancel other things or uh, yeah it just yeah. got it got so complicated and it was it's a very exhausting thing. Oh That's yeah great to do for a while. But I yeah, I I, I did it and I had myself <laughs> <laughs> That's just one of those things you can check off now that yeah, you've done. Yeah. 
So how did you meet the guys that have that now form the Alex Skolnick trio? Uh, well, uh, from 98 to 2001, I'm going back to school. I right. decided, you know, my excuse to move to New York was to get, in, get a university degree. Uh, but I figured I could take that any way I want. I could go into some other field. You know, I like creative writing. I like art. Right. I, I, I developed all, all these other things. Uh, but I still wanted to be the best position I could be. Okay. So I, I got a degree from, from the new school. Just, yeah, new school has a very famous uh, jazz program. Yeah. You study with Scott yeah, Legends, really. And uh, the, the drummer at the trio was a fellow student. Oh, okay. And we were both kind of outcasts in very different ways. <laughs> really? We had a whole circle of outcasts. Yeah, we, we, had, we had great diverse Okay. And we sort of weren't on this track that, yeah, there was like, you know, the real, there was like an in crowd there. Oh, yeah. And, typical and, school. You know, this is the normal school dynamic. Yeah. Except, you know, in, in music. And anyway, so we stuck together. We just, we started playing together just for fun. Okay. And one of the great things about being in New York is you have all these venues that, uh, you know, you can play at many levels. And I, I, uh, I would play, you know, small cafes. You know, yeah. So somebody would recognize me. Testament. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, you're hard to miss with that great shock of hair. That's true. <laughs> and even back then, you know, I had short hair at that time. Yeah. yeah. I have uh, seen some of the still, videos. Still think people would recognize me. Um, and, you know, but anyway, that, that was a great thing about being in New York. So I started playing together. I, my main project at that time was an electric called the School Patrol. I wanted yeah. to ask you about that. Okay. So that was my electric jazz band. Oh, oh okay. Saxophone, sometimes keyboards. Oh, wow. And I really wanted to go for like, like a seventies kind of electric jazz funk. Thing. Oh wow! Yeah, like something that would could score the soundtrack to Jackie Brown. Right. right. <laughs> and I was doing that, and it was it was fun. But I really started the trio as a side thing. Okay. And there was just. There was just, I don't know if it was like this great chemistry that I had with Matt Zabrowski, my yeah. drummer, or just the, that the, uh, you know, the, I, it was simpler because it was just a three piece. Whatever it was, it felt really, uh, yeah, it just, it, it was, it was more comfortable and it was, it was, I was, I think I was having more fun. Right. And friends of mine who I've known a long, long time, I had a few friends. Back to New York in the Bay Area. Okay. And, you know, they kind of pulled me aside and said, yeah, but the school was all electric. I'm just in school, but this thing is happening. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> and just, I, I just, all, all the signs were there. Okay. okay. I really, yeah. You know, and I knew I needed to do a record under my own name. Right, right. Where I'm the producer, I may, I have the final say. And I thought it would be a whole control record, but it ended up being a trio record. And then the response to the trio record was, was yeah, really, really cool and really different. You know, I got into Downbeat Magazine. I was going to getting invited to come on to jazz radio stations. Oh, wow. Um, 
Yeah, so it's very clear. Like, all right, this is the direction I'm going. And you, you chose to do some covers. Is it right. is it difficult to take uh, songs that are like a rock song, like like you did a great version of Pink Floyd's "Money." That's, yeah. you know, Pink Floyd, a lot of their stuff is is obviously blues-based. Is it difficult right. to take a blues-based song and change it into a jazz song? Um, I think if you have, you know, experience doing it, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's certainly not easy, but it's not, you know, it's not like the next to impossible. Not like breaking down uh, eruption. But I, yeah, <laughs> I think that's hard. <laughs> but I think um, part of it is the fact that... Uh, you know, in the world of jazz and improvisation, you often hear quotes. People quote tunes, right? So if you okay. listen to old old songs by, yeah, say, Charlie Parker, Dexter Gordon, they'll frequently quote another song. Okay. And I found myself, sometimes, you know, I, I learned a lot of the standard jazz. So I was, I learned, you know, part of the curriculum, you know, when you in jazz, yeah, you learn all these, uh, you know, you learn like standard jazz. Okay. And I, occasionally, I would throw out a, a quote, but my quotes were, you know, they would come from rock tunes, oh. like Floyd or <laughs> the Scorpions, and I, I gradually realized, you know, this could actually work. You could build a whole song around. That's pretty cool. One more question to ask you, and then I'll let you have the rest of your evening. I know I've kept you a while, but if. Uh, Let's say there's somebody like me who's a big fan of your metal work, uh, but maybe doesn't know a whole lot of jazz. Who would who would be a good person for somebody who likes metal to start their jazz exploration with? Who's a good artist to, to start checking out? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's many answers. Okay. Like my way in was from jazz rock. Okay. Right. So there were a number of artists. Sort of, you know, in the late 60s, early 70s. Okay. Blended jazz and rock. Right. And it, it was called fusion, jazz rock fusion. It, the word fusion has since been sort of bastardized. And, yeah. yeah. Even, yeah, music by Kenny G is considered fusion. Right. Oh, wow. Who I actually, I really, I've met him, ironically. Oh, really? I, I can't, I, I can't, it's, music's not for me. Yeah. He's like really one of my he's one of my favorite people that I've met in the music industry. He's really? hilarious. He has a great yeah, he has a great sense of humor about his Oh wow. Yeah. About his, yeah. about who he is and how he's perceived. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. He's he's actually a great guy. Oh, and his awesome. kid is a metal guitar player. Really? That was how I met him. Yeah. That oh. kid's a shred. Oh my gosh. And took a lesson with me, took a lesson with Chris Broderick. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a whole other story. But, oh my uh, gosh! So the original jazz rock fusion, right? It was Miles Davis. He basically okay. invented that. So I yeah. think there's certain albums of Miles Davis that I think if you're new to jazz, you great to get into. Okay. But a lot of the players for Miles Davis ended up doing jazz rock music on their own. So for example, John McLaughlin right, right. started to obviously went to Korea. Started to turn it forever. 
Joe Zalin, old club weather report. Oh, okay. Kirby Hancock did the headhunters and a million other things, and he's still doing great stuff. Oh, I love Herbie so Hancock. All, yeah. They all started with Miles Davis. Okay, so Miles Davis would be a really good jumping off point for people. Yeah, but there's also so many periods. Uh, but I would also recommend a traditional jazz artist, uh, Joe Henderson. Okay. Who is a saxophone player. Okay. Uh, but his albums from like the 60s have, have an energy that I think is very relatable. Okay. Rock. Uh, there's an album called Joe Henderson Interviews. Okay. Which I always point people to. Like that's a that's a good one to start. All right. Well, I'm definitely going to start looking those up. So that's uh, that's going to be my in, my intro to it. Um, so where can people find you online if they want to find out what uh, what you're doing with Testament or the trio or uh, yeah, Metal so Allegiance? Web, I, I'm somebody I registered my name. Oh, good. Early enough before <laughs> people could take it. Yeah. Good. Yeah, so, so I'm not underscore this. Or so you're just at Alex at, Skolnick? At Alex Skolnick on Instagram. At oh. Alex Olnick on Twitter, alexolnick.com. Oh, perfect. On the web, yeah. And uh, yeah, on Facebook, it's uh, Alex Olnick Official Fanbook. Oh, awesome. That's fantastic. And yeah. do you have plans to tour anytime soon? Uh, the next, I'm, I'm off most of the rest of the year. I'm, I've got a couple of master classes I'm doing. Um, and then in January, I have... Uh, some shows with the trivia, okay. uh, including Green Dally, which is a big jazz club in Washington. Um, oh, cool. Zellersville, PA, Boston. Um, I'm playing with my buddy Stu Ham, a great bass player. Oh, I love Stu Ham, yeah. And uh, playing with Yoshi in the area. And then uh, Testament will start. We're going to be working on the direct. That's great and, news. Uh, I'll be touring in Europe all, all of oh, fantastic! Well, when you come to, to DC, I'll have to I'll have to get tickets and check you out. Oh, please, Alex! Thank you for your time tonight. I really do appreciate you spending so much time with me. Oh, you're welcome. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett. 
Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 